0: Hey, I'm Sandy, and I'm a quilter, and welcome to episode 202, in which I organize thread. And I'm recording this on Tuesday, December 6, 2016, and I want to say thank you for listening. Um, and, hey, I've actually done two in the space of about 10 days. This is very exciting. I'm going to give a little bit of a Sandy update, and then I'm going to talk about my embroidery thread organizational woes, And then I do have a book review I can give as well. So let's get started. My Sandy update, Um, first of all, those of you who are uh, part of our Twitter Twilter community uh, know that I have been looking at various options for a different goal setting planner than what I currently use. I've been using for the last about two and a half months I've been using the Dragon Tree Apothecary Planner, um, which I found out about because of a Facebook ad. I usually try to um, do my best never to encourage Facebook by <laughs> clicking on any of those ads, but this one kept coming up in my feed. And finally, there was a day when I would just been thinking, boy, if I could have some sort of actual physical handwritten planner for particular things in my life, um, it might really be helpful. And I saw that one, and so I went ahead and clicked on it. And so, of course, now I'm getting all sorts of other Facebook ads. But anyway, um, I've been using that for about two and a half months and was fairly happy with it to begin with, but I have found a couple of aspects of it more and more frustrating. I've talked about that on my blog, so I'm not going to go into a lot of it here. But um, I did start a couple of weeks ago kind of testing out some other options. Most, or many anyway, of the goal-setting planners actually let you download a certain part of it as a free PDF. They might give you a few pages. Or as in the Passion Planner, um, that actually let me download, uh, all I had to do was post a picture on social networking of some sort. And then it gave me a password to uh, download the current year's calendar. Now, I don't know if they do that all the time, because obviously at the beginning of a calendar year, you're getting the whole calendar. Um, Now, you're getting it as a printout on a computer, so that's a lot of pages, and you have to staple it together at a corner, and it's kind of a pill to use, (laughs) rather than actually ordering their books. So I don't know if that's an issue for them. But here in December, I was able to download the entire, um, 2016 calendar. Cause I'm only using the last few weeks of it. And it was enough for me to decide, yes, the passion planner was really the one I wanted to use. I tested out a couple of others, um, offhand, couldn't tell you what they were at the moment, but the passion planner solved the issues I had with the dragon tree one and, um, offered some additional things. There are, there's some lacks there. I think, um, the Dragon Tree one had really good uh, sort of preliminary process. All the stuff it walks you through to get to the point of setting actual goals that then become weekly tasks. That was really solid in the Dragon Tree one, and I really really liked it. Um, it's that still exists in the Passion Planner one. It's a, just a little bit less of a process, but that might be okay for me now since I've took myself through the more solid process. I've already got that done now and can just now work on um, doing it the Passion Planner way. But anyway, I did order the Passion Planner, the calendar one for 2017. It has already shipped, so I should have it soon. Um, And I'm, I'm really looking forward to actually being able to use that one. Part of what I'm looking forward to is it's a smaller, I got a compact one. Uh, so it'll actually fit in my purse, which means I can bring it with me places. The Dragon Tree is a full-size hardcover book, uh, which looks really nice, and it gives you, to a certain degree, plenty of room to write, but it's not exactly portable. So I'm looking forward to having one that I can have with me all the time. Um, and I did actually figure out with the way it's got its task lists and each week laid out, I could actually use a section of that task list to keep track of quilty or embroidery projects that I wanna work on every week, if I ever get to the point where I'm actually touching my sewing machine again. So we'll see <laughs> when we get there. Um, but meanwhile, I'm really looking forward to using it. And I do wanna give a shout out to um, twilters who let me know what they use and what they like about the various ones that they use. Cause it, it did help me kind of think through what's important to me in a planner like that. So I will probably talk about that more, at least on my blog, uh, when I actually get the Passion Planner and start using it more. Um, now, speaking of touching my sewing machine, I still have the shirt. <laughs> it's still laid out in exactly the same position on my cutting table that it was last weekend. I have not gotten to it at all, um, but I hope to maybe If not this week, then this weekend. I should have some time. And you know, and really it's one of these things that it's probably only at most a couple of hours and really maybe only about an hour of sewing. I just haven't, I I know I need to approach it with a very clear head and paying attention to what I'm doing since I'm not a garment sewer. And I just haven't been in that position yet. Um, So nothing to report there. Um, The fun thing I did get done from a uh, textile, not exactly a quilty, but a textile perspective. I think I mentioned, I don't remember now if I mentioned it in the last episode of this podcast or whether I've only talked about it on my blog, but for this fall's uh, school class, my Doctor of Ministry class, our final project, rather than doing a final paper, he wants us to do something creative and he leaves that totally up to us what we want to do. So Um, A fair number of the cohort are doing things like writing sermons and such that they can actually use in their contexts. For me, I decided to go a different route and get back to my textile roots and use this as an excuse to play with fiber and still call it school. Um, So I am doing a project. We actually have to do two projects, one which somehow exemplifies grief and the other one which somehow exemplifies uh, hope. And so I am going to do two um, essentially embroidery projects, but starting with creating my own wool felt fabric. I have, oh, a boatload of wool fibers, um, carded wool, hand-dyed wool, not my own hand-dyed. I've bought it from other sources. Um, And my Twitter friend Sherry sent me some at one point. So I've got a lot of this sitting around and I'd I'd started amassing it back when I was trying to learn how to spin. And I had these wonderful thoughts that I was eventually gonna buy a spinning wheel and really get into spinning my own fibers and that never happened. It may still someday, I haven't offed all my drop spindles and I still like the concept of it, but obviously it's not gonna happen for a while. So I decided I really ought to be using these uh, wool fibers in some way and I love doing felted wool stuff. So I did a little research and I have made a wool felt fabric as the background for the first of the two pieces. I did that on Sunday Um, and I'll do another one when I'm ready to work on the second project on hope, Um, probably maybe next weekend. And what I'm going to do is the wool felt fabric itself is the first part of the process of this project. And then I'm going to do some embroidery on each one as the second part of the the process. Um, And then we have to write a journal around, you know, why we're doing what we're doing and what it all means and reflecting on the reading and everything. So I've still got to work on that this week too. But making the wool felt fabric was actually easy, but time consuming. Um, It probably took me and I probably should have done longer. Um, It probably took me maybe an hour and a half, I think, on Sunday to do the whole thing, start to finish. Um, I'm not sure it's as solid a piece as it could be. It's good for my first time out out of the gate, but I think I really should have done it a little bit longer, maybe even done a couple more layers um, of the roving. What you do to make wool felt uh, is uh, from roving, is you get, like I was using a sheet pan, which had just a little bit of an edge, and I would lay out uh, the first layer of roving, roving, and you have to overlap each piece with the next so that they all interconnect. Um, and so you just lay the first one out kind of in a grid overlapping, and then you lay the next layer out on top of it, but going the opposite direction. So if you have vertical Uh, fibers the first time, the second time, you're going to have horizontal fibers, and then you lay out a third layer uh, the opposite way again, and then you lay out the fourth layer opposite way again. And the instructions I was using said four layers. They said you could do more layers if you wanted to, to have a thicker piece. I'm thinking next time I might do six layers, because it does feel, we'll see how it holds up when I'm embroidering it. It feels a little bit like it might start pulling, I'm not sure. Um, Again, never done it before. I have worked with felted wool before, but never the felted wool that I've made myself. Um, And for this first one, again, because I wasn't really sure how everything was going to work, I wasn't even quite sure how to lay out my colorways, because what I wanted to do, since this one describes grief, um, and I'm doing a whole thing around beloved community and the divisions that are happening in our country, etc. So I wanted... Color, but I wanted it really overlaid with murky, um, murky colors. And I so I had lighter colors on the bottom couple of layers and then getting kind of progressively darker. And then the dark top layer was all dark purples and dark blues. Um, and it worked kind of the way I was sort of thinking it would work. Um, well, now let me put it this way. It did turn out basically how I wanted or how I thought it would turn out. It wasn't necessarily how I wanted it to turn out. Again, having doing more practice, I could probably get more of the effect that I had in my head, but I'm not sure I want to take the time to do that. It's sufficient unto this particular project. Um, the next one, since it's hope, will actually be the opposite, where I'll have maybe a little bit of murkiness in the middle, but the color... Coming out from it. Um, anyway, <laughs> it's all, it's in my head and it's really symbolic, and there's all sorts of great stuff I'm going to write about it when it happens. It's just without you reading all the writing that's going to go along with it, it probably a little hard to picture. Um, so, anyway, I was going to describe the process a little bit. You lay out your four um, layers of wool roving. And then you get really, really hot water with some hand soap in it and you kind of dampen it all down. And then it's just pressing, pressing, pressing and kind of rubbing it, but you can't rub really hard because then you're pulling holes in the stuff. Just getting the wool to expand and cling to itself to create that wool fabric. And um, when your water cools down, you have to dump it off, put more hot water on, dump it off, put more hot water on. I went through an entire pitcher of hot soapy water and it was probably about six. Yeah, I think I've probably about six times where I, the water cooled down and I dumped it off and I put more on. Um, and then you move it out of the pan. Once you start feeling like it's kind of uh, holding together, You could keep doing it in the pan for a lot longer, but they suggested you put it onto something like bubble wrap or a washboard or something, so it's got a little bit of a grid there that you're rubbing it against that gives a little more friction. And, um, you know, we've been getting shipments in the house, so I had plenty of bubble wrap to work with, and so I I rubbed it off on some uh, bubble wrap for a little while, still putting the hot water in there, which, mind you, I had to really be careful not to end up with a complete mess in my kitchen, but I managed to do it pretty darn well only had a few little drips of soapy water that I had to clean up with a paper towel at the end. Um, So like I said, that whole process took about an hour and a half. And then when you feel like you've got a solid piece of fabric, you roll it up in a towel and you press it down to squeeze as much of that moisture out as possible. And then you unroll it and you just lay it out somewhere to dry. And by the next morning, it was completely dry. So um, again, it wasn't a hard process. It's just Time consuming you because you're standing there for the longest time just rubbing, rubbing, rubbing. You can, um, there are other ways. I've read other methods of doing felted wool. This was just the one that was the simplest that I found right off the bat that I knew I could do in my kitchen on a Sunday night easily enough. Um, so it was fun to do, it was intriguing. Um, In terms of seeing how the colors I used blended together and learning about placement and how things will look when you get them done. Um, If I were to control it a little bit differently next time, all of those kinds of things that you learn from doing. So I'm looking forward to doing the second one, although the second one will actually be easier because I'm not trying to do as much with it. So that was kind of my um, one venture into textile arts this week. I did do a little bit of embroidery at lunch yesterday, um, picked up my Halloween block of the month that obviously did not get done by Halloween, but it was the simplest thing I already had laying out. And I just was like, I've got to get back in the habit of doing embroidery now. And I wanted to be able to use my fun LED magnifying lamp. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, I did remember as I was sitting there working on that, that I do have a design for a Christmas piece that I want to do. So I may sometime this week, I may trace that off on some linen. In fact, I, it's possible that I already have, but I don't think so. Um, so that I'm working on a Christmas thing during Christmas season. We'll see if I would actually get it done by Christmas. Um, one other thing before I move on to talking about embroidery thread and organizational woes, Um I'd be interested to know if anybody else has done stitch fix. Um, Stitch fix, it's not a sewing thing. It's a clothing thing. As you know, if you follow my blog, I've been working on my personal style this fall and trying to up my game a little bit um, with actually very good success. (laughs) I've been very pleased um, that when I go places, even when I'm dressed more casually, inevitably, somebody will comment on how nice I'm looking, which means I must not have been looking very good before. Uh, But Anyway, um, I've been trying to figure out how to, uh, one, deal with the fact that I am now going down through sizes and will be, if, well, I should stop saying, if this continues, because it will continue, this is gonna keep happening, then I'm gonna keep changing sizes. So how do I continue to have clothes that fit without breaking the bank? Um, and also in trying to figure out my style, you know, making sure I'm not just in a style rut here, because I look at my closet and there's part of me that feels like, wow, I wear a lot of solid colors, (laughs) you know. Wow, I have a lot of very basic clothes and they go together well, but I'm still trying to, you know, figure out how all that works. So after doing a little bit of reading and researching and seeing certain things constantly popping up on fashion blogs and such, I, dis- I decided to bite on Stitch Fix. And what Stitch Fix is, it's a clothing subscription service. So um, you can decide how often it happens. I've signed up for once a month. We'll see. You get five things in a box. And they might be clothes, they might be shoes, they might be um, handbags, accessories, scarves, jewelry. Uh, you can... That's another thing you can say, don't bother sending me X. They give you a list of things to choose from. Um, But it's five things total. And you then decide which ones you want to keep and which you want to send back. And there's a $20 a month uh, style fee or curating fee. But then that $20 gets taken off the price of anything you might decide to buy. And if you buy all five items, there's a significant discount. so I don't know, you know, we'll see. I'm, I'm willing to try it. I'm willing to try it for a few months because you have to give them time to figure out what it is you actually like. There's this whole quiz you fill out to begin with um, that gives obviously your size and shape and all that kind of stuff. But then also what's your style, what kinds of clothes, what genre, <laughs> I guess, of clothes are you looking for mostly? Um, it's not, it, it's not a super comprehensive questionnaire that you fill out. There was like five pages that I kind of, not, you know, web pages, five screens that I went through or so. Um, but then as you go through it, as you send stuff back, then you're able to go in and say, hey, hated this because or really liked the color of this, but didn't like the style, or whatever, you give them information that then supposedly they use for your next box. Um, I've mostly read really positive reviews about it. There have been some really negative. I read a couple of comments on one blogger um, who had written a positive review about it. Some of the comments were super negative, but then other ones were super positive. It seems to be you either love it or hate it. (laughs) So I decided, you know, I'm going to try it. And we'll see. All I'm going to be out is 20 bucks a month. And gosh, I spend that on clothes in the store that I get home wear once and realize, oh my word, I should have never bought that. So, you know, we'll see. We'll just see. If any of you have ever used it, let me know. I'd be interested to know your own experiences or any of those. Uh, there's a ton. Well, I shouldn't say a ton. There's several clothing subscription services. Um, the other one you hear a lot about is Gwynny Bee which is for plus-size clothing. Um, and there's another one. That name is escaping me right now. Uh, so, like I said, I thought it was worth trying. If any of you have done it, I'd be interested in hearing your experience. Okay, back to fiber stuff. Um, embroidery thread organizational woes. Okay, so now that I'm doing the embroidery thing, I have a stash of embroidery thread it's actually when i see other bloggers embroidery stashes it's not huge by any means it's mostly varied i don't have a lot of any one kind of thread but i have a lot of different kinds of threads um which creates its own organizational issues because you kind of want to keep your threads separated by type so you know what you're working with, or if you want to look for a particular thread, you know where you can go to find it, etc. Um, I started out, the first thing I got when I knew I was going to outgrow, I started out with just a project box. When I first started doing the Sue embroidery project, I had it all in a single art bin where the project could sit on a top shelf, and then I kept all the threads underneath. I pretty quickly outgrew that one box, so I knew I was going to need more space. So I I bought a plastic, um, basically a cabinet with drawers. It's the type that's normally used in a workshop for screws and nuts and bolts and such, but it was sold, I think I might have bought it at Joann's, maybe, might have gotten it at Home Depot, not sure, Um, but it was sold as a craft supply cabinet or maybe I saw it on Pinterest. I don't remember now how I got this thing because I got it over a year ago now, and it was good in theory because I could have a drawer for each type of thread and each color. So like all my DMC floss was organized by color, and then I had different, you know, specialty drawers and stuff. The problem was it wasn't actually long enough for a skein of floss of DMC. They kind of all were bent at the top, Um, and it wasn't attractive to look at at all, which does kind of matter to me you wouldn't know that looking at the clutter in my (laughs) sewing room right now but I do kind of like things to look nice and the drawers were kind of hard to pull in and out I had to kind of jiggle it around which meant I had to hang on to the cabinet because it wasn't a bit I mean again it's plastic it's lightweight so if I went to pull a drawer out without holding on to the whole cabinet the whole thing would tip over um so it just started really working my nerves so then I started just using my various, uh, the hand uh, the portable organizers, like the everything in its place bag that I made, the Annie Unrine bag. That became a storage holder for a particular type of floss. Um, I had a couple of other embroidery organizer, you know, portable things, project bags, essentially, that I was trying to use as storage for other types of thread. The problem is you can't see anything from the outside. And so I'd have to remember, okay, I think I put all my cruel wool in this organizer. And often if I was choosing projects, I'd be sitting on the living room floor with five different organizers all around me. It was really kind of a pain. Um, Not to mention the fact I was using up all my portable organizers as general storage. And so when I did actually want to take a project on the go for me, I had to start moving all sorts of stuff around. So that was kind of a problem. Um, Then I repurposed. This was more recently. I think I did this over um, Labor Day, maybe? Labor Day sewing. I repurposed a tall uh, standing set of plastic drawers we had had in the basement with all the kids' video games in it. The kids have moved out. Their video games weren't in there anymore, and so I moved that up to the family room, and use that because it was good for all my projects. The projects that were in process were in the top drawer. I was able to put all my beads in a drawer, all my tools in a drawer, et etc. Et but it's not really pretty. My husband raised his eyebrows at it. He's a wonderfully supportive, beautiful man and <laughs> never said, I hate it, get it out of here. Um, my theory was it's on casters. So when we had people over, I would roll it out of the family room and stuff it in a closet and then just roll it back in, which is fine, but that means the rest of us still have to live with it when we don't have guests around. And um, it also didn't offer thread storage. There was no way I could actually store the threads in there, so I still had all my threads in my handmade organizers, etc. Then I tried... (laughs) You see, I have really, I've, I've cycled through several storage um, ideas. Then I saw something on Pinterest. You know, obviously I've been pinning a lot of storage ideas on Pinterest. And I found one idea in which the person used three ring binders and then bought the various types of plastic sleeves you get at the, the office supply store. Um, one that was sized for business cards, one that was sized for, I think it was sized for CDs. Um Etc. and you would supposedly just put, when you wind your embroidery floss around the bobbins, you would put those in the business, you know, one each in the business card sleeve, etc. the larger ones for specialty threads. Nice in theory, really nice in theory. Did not work at all in practice because guess what happens? You move the binder the wrong way and all that thread comes flying out of the stinking plastic binder. Uh, I used that method for all of about three days It's <laughs> like bag this driving me nuts I'm gonna stop so then of course I'm back on Pinterest I'm doing more research um, Mary Corbett did a couple of posts on this on her blog so I was reading through that she does needles and thread is that the name of her blog anyway anybody who does embroidery knows Mary Corbett's blog um, Everything I was finding on Pinterest was way too fussy. I mean, sure, it would look cute as all get out in your storage room that all your embroidery thread is wrapped around a clothespin. (laughs) I am not about to sit there and wrap all my stinking thread around clothespins. Not going to happen. Plus, then they're all sitting in a jar, which again looks really pretty on the shelf, but then every time I want to do a project, I'm having to dump it out and sort through it. Anyway, don't get me started. Pinterest is sweet and nice to look at, but so very rarely actually practical. Um, Okay, sorry. (laughs) So anyway, um, Mary Corbett's favorite method, of course, for her as a professional embroiderer, she has an entire set of file cabinets for her embroidery. I don't need to quite go to DEFCON 5. So after a lot of thought, I've decided to go back to the Art Bin Super Satchel series. I've used Artbin various things for a bunch of different kinds of things before. These are, you can mostly get them at Joann's. Uh, Walmart says they sell them, but I did not find them at either of my Walmarts near me. Um, they have them online. Uh, Joann's, obviously you can use the coupon for them. They come in various sizes and permutations. Um, I'm using the super satchel. I think it's called slim I've got like four or five of them now because I did go online. They were having a sale. I had a coupon. Um, So I was able to get them at 50% off and then free shipping. Um, So I made use of all of that. Uh, So I think I've now got, because I already owned one. I think I've now got a total of five of the slim bins. I still have my project box. And then I got one that's a deeper bin where all my beads are now. I do still need to get... I shouldn't say need. I want to get the, um, there's a cabinet you can get that they all slide in and out of so that, and the reason I want to get that is because they each one sits on a ridge so it slides in by itself so you can pull the one out in the middle and the other ones still stay in there. Whereas right now I've got them all stacked on top of each other. So I want one out of the middle. I'm unstacking them all and having to restack them. Um, and that's just kind of a pain. But I do like the fact, obviously you uh, can adjust all the innards to whatever size you need. So each one of my, um, the five I have that are the same, each one has different size, uh, different adjustments made in the middle depending on what kind of thread is in there. So like I've got one art bin that's got all my pearl cotton, um, very close to having to expand into a second <laughs> bin. This is when you realize how much you have of each type. I've got a lot of Pro car- Cotton of various sizes, some solid, some um, variegated. I use a lot of Pro Cotton. And then I've got one uh, with just all my DMC floss. Um, I've got one that's all my specialty threads, one that's my um, dyed silk ribbons because I'm starting to do a little ribbon embroidery. That one is nearly empty because I don't have all that much ribbon. And then I've got an empty one. Um, for growth or for me to reorganize my threads and so that's um, right now that seems to be the best solution for me I'm going to keep them all up in my sewing room again um, so that I'm only taking one project down at a time to have sitting in the family room uh, so that my husband doesn't have to deal with all the crud all over the place Um, you know it's really the the I don't know. It's such a personal thing. You really have to think through how you actually use your stuff to decide what the best way is to store it. So many storage solutions that people either talked about on their blogs or put in Pinterest that worked just wonderfully for them. I thought that would drive me up a wall in two seconds flat. Um, And then, of course, I found out that the ones I thought would work didn't. So, (laughs) So we'll see. Um, so I'm telling you all of that in case you're also looking for ideas uh, for your embroidery thread storage. Hey, if you want to wrap your thread around um, paper, uh, not paper <laughs> um, clothes pins, and if that really works for you, more power to you. I have zero interest in doing that. So, um, you know, lay it on me. If you've got some great uh, organizational system you have figured out for your embroidery supplies, because you know what? After a few months, I would be willing to give up the art bin if I could find something that would work even better. I'm, I have a thing for organization and organizational supplies. That is one thing in my house that I probably do spend a fair amount of money on is organizational stuff. Um, okay, book review. I promised you a book review, and here it comes. I think I mentioned last or in my last podcast episode that I had bought a book that I'm calling school book when it's actually <laughs> for embroidery. It's called Slow Stitch, Mindful and Contemplative Textile Art by Claire Wellesley Smith. And I did post a link to this on my last episode. I will do that again on this episode. Um, I bought this book because it seemed related to what I wanted to do for my final project for my DMIN class. Um, And I think it will. I think it will. Now that I've read it, and now that I've started the project, I do think it will, because the embroidery I'm going to be doing on at least this first part is very repetitive. I'm only using one stitch, um, the fly stitch. I'm going to do it over and over and over again, because I want it to look like barbed wire. And so i I wanted to have a contemplative approach to it, and this book has helped me kind of think through how I want to do that. Um, Claire Wesley Smith is from the UK, which is only pertinent in that you will find words like jumpers instead of sweaters in the book. Um, Or if you're one of my UK listeners, you're gonna think, well, that's what they're called. They're not called sweaters. Um, And there's lots of extra U's floating around in various words. which again, for my UK listeners, you're like, dang right there are. That's how you're supposed to spell it. Um, It's a lovely, lovely book. It's a hardcover. It's beautiful layout, really wonderful photography. It's just got that mindful and contemplative feel as you're flipping through the pages. Do note, this is not a project book. It's an inspiration book. There are um, some instructional moments to it. There are periodic references to how to do things. There are some suggested approaches with supply lists and steps, etc. Um, but they're few and far between, and it's not like you're trying to create, you know, a stuffed animal or a wall hanging. It's all about the actual process. Um, the book emphasizes sustainability, uh, it, it has a low impact approach. It talks about you know, used fabric, where you can find used fabric beyond just your own used fabric in your home. Um, she talks about being aware of the production process of the fabrics that you're purchasing. Um, in other words, are there a lot of chemicals that are harmful to for the to the environment being used in producing the fabrics? Is there child labor or um you know in really bad labor practices in the factories etc she talks about being aware of that kind of thing um she emphasizes going local if you're doing some hand dyeing she really suggests using um organic materials that are local to you things that you know might even grow in your backyard uh, so all of that is engaged in the sustainable and that's what the mindful part of it is is being mindful of where the materials you're working with come from um and then, of course, it's about slow stitching and she talks about the slow food movement that this comes from and then um, how this is, uh, how her approach to textile art also embraces that whole slow stitching concept. Um, you're not going to, again, you're not going to come up with a finished project necessarily. I mean, you could frame some of these or turn them into pillow covers or whatever. That's not the point of the book. Um it's what she describes, again, is the process you're going to use. There's a section on simple stitches, getting started with hand stitch rhythms, in which she talks about um, how you might want to approach contemplative stitching. Uh, she describes a process that she uses, as she says, to warm up for other projects, and she has a suggested process with materials uh, for the rhythmic meditative stitching that was really kind of cool. She, she uses, um, she demonstrates how She used kind of a loose weave linen, I think it was, and kind of hand dyed one end, one side of it. And what she does um, is she pulls off a thread from the dyed end and then just goes and does a running stitch line on the undyed end. So you end up with this really gentle. color difference going. It's, it's just really, it's beautiful. And it started making me look at <laughs> some of my textiles that I use for embroidery thinking, huh, what can I do to make that interesting? Um, she also has uh, some really cool stuff that she referred It's a section called cross-cultural activity, and it describes kantha, kantha, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, K-A-N-T-H-A, stitching, which is originally from um, Bangladesh which I had never heard of before, and she talks about what it comes from, what it, how it originated, where it's being used now, and um, has a suggested stitching process that's inspired by it. Also, Japanese boro, B-O-R-O, uh, which she says originated as a mending technique, and then she, again, describes how to use that in contemplative uh, s- stitching. She uses um, what's called an UK patchwork, or here, you know, our quilting techniques, our piecing techniques, um, to put fabrics together and then do stitching around it. And then she has a section entitled that's just named Contemplative, and it highlights several textile artists who use this type of stitching and offers examples from their work, and then also talks about stitch journals, not only showing examples from other artists, but then um, gives some suggested ways to create your own stitch journal um, and describes how that could become a meditative practice. and and boy, that had my pistons firing. <laughs> I was ready to to start putting something together. So I may do that at some point after I've completed this these projects I'm working on for school. Um, and she also talks about community projects and how to use contemplative stitching in communities, um, and that's something she does and, and what she thinks that helps address in communities. Um, so it is, it's a niche market book. <laughs> it's not something all of you are going to be, you know, interested in. But for those of you who are, um, who are thoughtful about, not thoughtful, you're all thoughtful. Those of you who are thinking about how your stitching could become part of a contemplative practice for you, um, looking at textile art, looking at reusing materials, um, looking at some cross-cultural kinds of stitching, you might be interested in this book. Again, it's a hardcover, so it's not a cheap book, but it's one that I've already gone through it once. I'm going to sit down and read again more thoroughly. Um, it's text heavy, so it, there's you're going to get your money's worth by the time you've gone through it. Um, I didn't look for it in my library, so it might be in libraries. Uh, Go ahead and and find that out. Uh, You might be lucky enough to find it that way. So I do recommend it, again, um, not necessarily for everybody. Uh, It's, uh, like I said, it's a niche market. And so that's it for this episode. On my next episode, I will be talking about, yes, it's that time of year again, Quilty Resolutions. Haven't entirely decided what my theme is going to be this year yet, but we'll get there. Um, you're hearing me click around because I want to open up my listener feedback. I've gotten some comments. I did not do listener feedback um, on the last episode because it would have been six months worth or what, (laughs) four months worth or however long it was. And that would have been too much, but um, this time it's a much more manageable amount. So I'm going to go ahead and get back to it. I want to say thank you to, um, let me see if I can get these all open at the same time. Sorry, I don't usually let you hear me talking to myself. I want to say thank you to Gay, who commented on one of my um, Fight the Funk Fridays posts that she has started working from home a few months ago and feels fried every day from all the sitting. So she's really thankful that I did some of the app reviews and yeah. People think working from home is really low-key and relaxing, but it actually, it's almost worse for you physically because there's a lot less opportunity to move around. You have to be very intentional about it. Lindy um, posted a comment on episode 198. We're going back in time in which I keep burning my fingers. That was the one I posted on May 8th. Um, she is trying to catch up on the podcast, <laughs> so, so that's good. She says, I really admire you for making the bags. I'm not a bad person. I love buying them from other people, but I get frustrated when it comes to sewing like that. Um, yeah, I get frustrated too, and yet I'm stubborn, and I keep going back for to it. Too. So thank you for your comment, Lindy. Thank you to Sarah in Houston, um, who says, uh, she commented on a Fight the Funk Friday when I was growing up, my dad would call the research librarians at the Downtown Houston Public Library. Now I use Google. Whenever my mom wants to know something, I tell her to call the library, aka Google. So, yeah, we all we have definitely entered the time of instant information, although you have to be able to judge what you're reading. Um Jay commented on my Fight the Funk Friday cautionary tale. She says, I have a lot to say on the subject, but you have basically said it all. So I will just say amen, sister. Um, She's agreeing to the fact that I scolded all of you, mostly younger people, but all of you to get up and get moving so you don't end up like me. Um, Thank you to Gretchen for your comment on episode 201 in which she thanked me for finally posting an episode. That was not her wording, mine. Um, Thank you to Pratima who commented on my fight, The Frank Friday Cautionary Tale. Um, thank you for to Lindy, who commented on episode 201. Thank you to Carol, who commented also on episode 201. And she says, I've been lusting over the rayon batik jackets and shirts that I see at quilt shows, but never go anywhere to wear it, so haven't made one yet. When as far as buying the pattern. We'll be curious to see how yours comes out. I'm curious too, Carol. Um, And I would say, wear it at home. Why wouldn't you just wear it at home? That's one of the things I'm trying to do is I don't wear sweats all the time at home anymore. I'm trying to actually get dressed and sometimes wear a nice thing if it's comfortable because why not? Um, Thank you to Erin who commented on episode 201 and she says, I'm the same way when it comes to assigning a quilt or anything else to someone. This is in reference to the fact I said that Now that I have in my head that a a certain quilt is going to a certain person, I think of it as their quilt, and I can't mentally reassign it to someone else. Erin says, it's been a good thing a few times when I really loved the way a quilt turned out. I would complain to my husband that I had to give it away, and he'd always suggest just keeping it. I can't do that. It's so-and-so's quilt, she would think. Um, I just saw one of those quilts this past weekend while visiting family for Thanksgiving. It was nice seeing it again. I need to make a similar quilt for me to keep. And you know, that reminded me when I read your comment, Erin, I actually did that. I had one quilt pattern that I made two different times as gifts for two different people because I really loved the quilt pattern. And I finally decided, you know, I've just got to make one of these for myself. And I finally did. And it's hanging in my living room to this day. Um, Susan sent me an email recommending Skinny Taste, and if you pay attention to my blog, you will see me also reference Skinny Taste blog this coming Friday. I've already written my Fight the Funk Friday post because I'm going to be gone on Friday, and so it's scheduled and it's ready to go, and I, too, talk about Skinny Taste. So thank you, Susan, for, um for trying to let me know about skinny taste, but yes, I already knew about it and a big fan. So I'm glad you have found it too. Um, thank you to Gretchen who also emailed me, who, um, has also now bought the passion planner. We're starting a trend. Um, thank you to Barb, who commented on my last Fight the Funk Friday, a bit of a setback. And she says, I sympathize with losing the trainer. My first exercise physiologist was also a wonderful young woman who really turned my life around as I recovered from an accident. I lost her when she decided to go to nursing school. In a way, she is still with me as I still practice the good habits she taught me. And I know that. I mean, yes, I will um, continue to use a lot of the exercises she's taught me. And mostly what I give my current trainer, because I have her until January, what I give her credit for is making me really enjoy going back to the gym again. Because I had just gotten into a rut and it had gotten boring and I started dreading do it. And she really, there was never a week that I didn't find myself thinking, I can't wait to see Chelsea today. I wonder what she's going to have planned for me. So that is such a good thing. And that's what I most hope for out of whatever new trainer I get hooked up with. And I I talk about that a little bit again um, this Friday on my Fight the Funk Friday post that I've already written that you don't get to read until Friday. Um, so thank you for your comment. Thank you to Lindy, um, also on episode 201. And she says, I've only heard a little bit about the instant pot, but I do have a crock pot that we cook in a lot to help us eat better. Um, I also have a crock pot. I actually have multiple crock pots. <laughs> and, and on the holidays, I often have them all going. Um, and I now often have a crock pot and an instant pot going for the same meal. Uh, You said recently that you are starting to embroider more and since I hand quilt, I was having issues marking my quilts. I used chop to mark most of my quilts, but recently, last year, I found something called Sulky Sticky Self Adhesive Tear Away Stabilizer. I really like it. I'm able to use a waterproof marker from the school supplies to mark the pattern on the stabilizer and then I let it dry for a few minutes, then safety pin it to the quilt. Um, I think I've got some of that stabilizer. And I don't remember now if I used it for marking or if I used it for something else. But thank you, Lindy, for reminding me of it. Um, And I will certainly try to use it. And finally, thank you to Jodi for her comment on episode 199, which was last May. And she's catching up on old episodes that she hasn't listened to yet. Um, And she was interested in hearing about my new exercise plan back last May, which was largely at that point, um, walking around every hour. Uh, it's now increased. Oh, wait. Yes, I think that's everybody. So thank you to everyone for all of your comments. And let me remind you how you can get a hold of me. You can email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Pinterest, uh, Instagram, all of those places. I'm Sandy Quilt, Sandy with a Y, Quilts with a G. You can friend me on Goodreads. You can like the Quilting for the Rest of Us page on Facebook. You can join the Flickr group for Quilting for the Rest of Us, and you can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us Kiva team and do good all over the world. And you will find links to pretty much all of those things, maybe not all, at my blog at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. And until next time, go get your quilting on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom.